0: If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Coran.
1: That's right, everybody. We are back. This is episode 137 when to ask for help. I'm Matt, that's Mike, and this week we'll be discussing the nuances or nuances? Nuances, nuances, I don't know. Correct me in the comments and have a fight back, have a fight down there. Actually, please don't. Keep it civil. But of how and when to ask for help. Now, if this sounds interesting to you or you want to criticize me, you can go and support or and or support the show. Hopefully support the show. Don't criticize me for how I sp- say nuances, nuances. Nuances? Nuances, I don't know. It's nuances. It's definitely nu- nuances. Nuance? For sure it's nuances. 100%. I've definitely heard it said both ways, though, right? If it said nuances, it's wrong. (laughs) Okay, well, I've definitely, like, 100%, I've definitely heard that, and, like, not rare enough for me to not not be, like, curious. And it's also one of those words in an email where I would have that in my, like, sentence, and I would be immediately being like, I'm going to rephrase this because I don't know how to say that. (laughs) So anyway, um, if this sounds interesting to you, and now it really should, you want to support the show, you can go check us out on Patreon, leave a review, or rating on your podcast app, join us in our Discord server, or share this with your friends. And now, this is a Mike Heavy episode. Mike wrote all the show notes, so please, sir, take it away. All
2: right. Um, Yeah, this this kind of topic came up a few episodes ago, I think, where... uh, I think it was with Killian uh, for the Polypane episode where he was kind of like, you know, uh, I really encourage all the all my employees to constantly ask for help. And I was like, okay, well, that's a good topic to talk about because I feel like for myself especially, I really don't know when to ask for help. And I, like, I've been trying to get better at that. I have a team of people that I can ask now. I have like, we have a whole Discord server, like shout out to our, you know, HTML things Discord server. They're great. Um, and if you just, you know, throw a question in there, you're going to get at least some direction for the most part, uh, especially if you're kind of persistent, sometimes it takes a little time, but regardless. So it's one of those things that I'm not good at. So I did kind of my own deep dive and my own research and my own testing, and I'm going to kind of share that with everyone else right now. So from what I understand, there's obviously no silver bullet for every problem that arises and, you know, how to ask it and when to ask it. There's no like, I can't tell you like, okay, if you're stuck on this for three seconds or four seconds, then move on to this. And if you're stuck on that, then ask the question. It's not going to work the same for everyone. And it's not going to work for the same for every team. Some teams out there are very open and, you know, they're sitting in a room together and they're constantly talking and no one cares and you're just constantly firing questions back and forth. And that's good. Like if you have that kind of team and you work great together, that's great. But some teams really rely on deep work. Some teams really rely on schedules. So in those kind of scenarios, it's a little bit difficult to kind of follow a standard pattern of like, okay, if I'm stuck on this for five minutes, I'm going to go bother that guy every five minutes and make sure that he's, you know, I'm I'm getting my questions answered. So you're going to have to kind of judge for yourself based on your team, but I'm going to give you kind of like an overview of what I consider to be Uh, something that could potentially benefit you and your team for when to ask for questions. Um, I'm also in the next segment after when to ask, I'm also going to talk about how to ask and some tools that can help you when you're asking questions as well. So when you're first starting out in a career, right? So it's going to be very different for every single point in your career, when and how you're going to be asking the questions. But when you're first starting out, it's important to learn something for yourself, obviously. But you're also in this position where like you don't have a base usually. You don't have a good set of skill, a good set of skills for finding answers to questions. And if you just go blindly into, you know, the sea of answers, you might start picking up some bad habits. I know for myself, I've definitely picked up a few bad habits here and there where I've kind of, I kind of like to grind too much on a on a problem, and I and I sometimes reach for too simple of a solution or too too complicated of a solution just to get past it. Whereas if I would just ask for help and direction, I could have gotten somewhere a lot more um, efficient and a lot more standard rather than going through like three different loopholes to get there. Uh, So that's why I kind of bringing this up because. When you're starting out, it's actually more important for you to ask questions than let's say you're in the intermediate developer, senior developer kind of range. So in my opinion and uh, other people's opinion from what I've read, if you're stuck on a problem in that five to 10 minute range, you've done a quick Google search, you know, you've know, uh, you checked your own notes, you've checked the, the, company's, the company's FAQ or something like that for problems, uh, the knowledge base and the knowledge base of maybe the framework that you're working on, like just a quick check of all those. And there's nothing obvious that stands out to you. I think in the, again, in that five to 10 minute range, when you're just starting out is perfectly fine for you to start reaching out. And I said before, every team is different and you don't want to, obviously you're not going to be reaching out every five to 10 minutes. You're not going to get stuck. Most likely every, everything that you do is not going to get you stuck. But if you're asking a question every once in a while, and you're stuck on something for five, to 10 minutes, I think that's perfectly, perfectly, uh, reasonable and i think a team should be happy to help you because a lot of the times like you'll have a mentor you'll ask them a lot you'll have a um you know your coworkers your team you can ask them and what that allows you to do as well is when you're asking them and going th- that back and forth you're going to get some good information about how they find answers to questions because as much as we want to say that we know everything if, if we're like an intermediate developer or whatever We don't. Obviously, we don't. And sometimes a junior developer or someone just starting out will ask us a question, and the first instinct that I have is like, okay, I don't know the answer to that question, but I I can find it out. Like if it's a question about some sort of Vue.js property, right? Like some sort of way to bind bind variables in Vue.js. I don't know. Maybe I won't, won't know that off the top of my head, and I'll go through the process of finding out. And the great thing is, is if I'm answering that question for a junior developer, I can be like, hey. Let's let's take a look at this together and I'll show them the process of, of how I get to that answer. And that process is the, way more important than the actual answer that you get at the end of it. So when you're just starting out, it's important to not only obviously understand the answers that you're given and know the questions to ask, but also be very digil- diligent in figuring out the process with which the person got to the answer. Obviously, sometimes it's going to be like an immediate, you know, I know that answer to that question, but you can kind of probe even. Uh, And I'll talk about this a little bit, a little bit more. You can probe a little bit and be like, how did you know that answer? And they'll tell you, okay, well, I, you know, back in the day I did this, I asked someone else or something like that. And maybe sometimes that, that won't help, but a lot of the time they'll tell you the kind of process that they got to that answer. And that's the more important thing to learn when you're at the starting stage. So also, um, asking questions at an early stage allows you to get some insight into how, uh, the company's code structure works as well because the more a person kind of looks over your shoulder and looks at your code and sees what they're what you're doing the more chances they have at correcting you and putting you on the right path to their company's policies the company the structure and get you get you on the right path for like the right fundamentals for that company's code base right so that's another positive about asking questions early on because you get to build kind of more relationships with the, with your team. You get to build better principles, better practices as you're working. And, uh, you, it's not a lot of the time it can feel awkward to ask questions because you're like, well, you know, no one else is asking questions or I I don't want to feel like an idiot or something like that. But really the people that are, involved and really wanting to complete a task are the people that are going to be asking more questions and the people that are silent and are slowly kind of grinding through the task are less likely to come up, come up with the correct answer a lot of the times. They might get there at some point, uh, but it might be like some backwards way and then they'll pull, put in their pull request and you know a senior developer review it and be like, "Well, why did you do it this way and you, why didn't you follow our practices?" whereas if you asked that question early on, they could have pointed you in the right direction.
1: Well, I actually have a a thing about that, though, too, is I remember we had a teacher uh, in uh, college that said that one of the kind of rules, I don't know whether it was a rule, the office or his rule or what it was, but it was sort of this uh, almost unspoken rule that if someone, because he was a developer, if someone in the office in his department, who would also chances are be a developer, had their headphones on to not disturb them. Now, the thing is, is that that kind of goes back to, and he mentioned this too. that goes back to that sort of deep work sort of state that we've discussed several times on the show where you kind of get into the some people call it the flow or the like you know deep work, whatever you want to call it, but it's that sort of like you're in the zone and you're just sort of getting through whatever it is you're doing. It doesn't have to just be code now here's the issue though, is that I find anyway, not that we work in a public, you know or not it wouldn't be necessarily public, but a crowded, I suppose office. But I find that people nowadays, uh, short of them having to constantly answer the phone or something like that or constantly talk to people in the office, they will oftentimes actually just have headphones on by default because there's, you know, there's lots to listen to, music, podcasts, uh, et cetera, et cetera, list goes on. So I think that – and I don't really have a solution unless you kind of do, Mike, but this is kind of one of those things where a lot of the time people don't want to ask for help because they feel like they're bothering people and whatever – The issue is, is that if you are interrupting a deep work session, a workflow session, whatever you want to call it, then you are actually interrupting them. Absolutely. And then you have this issue of you're trying to get this, uh, trying to get some help. You're also trying to get some, uh, some, um, I guess cred, like you're trying to like talk to them and like get a little bit of social credit with them. You know, because you're new there, you're trying to like make some relationships or whatever, and now you've pissed them off effectively. And so I don't know whether there would be an unspoken rule where you'd have to get used to it in the office where maybe it's that headphone rule or maybe it's like, oh, you know, Jim is always skipping lunch because that's when he does his stuff or whatever. I don't really know how that's handled, but I think that that's a really big struggle that people will have. And it doesn't have to be just coding either. It, it can be for anything. Like there's been times where I'll like approach somebody for either for help or because I literally need something from them and it'll be, it'll be like kind of met with not like anger or like they're going to attack you, but like enough disdain where they kind of give you the side. eye, like, Oh, like sure. Here's the paper, Matt. And it's like, well, <laughs> like, what would you like me to do? You're blocking me, you know? Um, So I don't really know how one handles that, but I do think that that's a major anxiety when asking for help or knowing when to and probably a big barrier to asking for help. Like a lot of people will just be like, nope, not entering that social situation.
2: Yeah, Um, and you're right. There there is a lot of instances where you probably don't want to interrupt someone, but it's usually, at least in an office-based environment, pretty obvious when they're like zoned in, right? If you're looking at them and they're like, Fully focused on the screen, headphones on, and typing away—probably not a good time to ask them. But if they're kind of leaning back, looking around, and stuff like that, like you can you can tell by social cues if they're up for some sort of conversation. That at least that's my experience in an office before. On the other on the other side of it, uh, in another strategy that I like to use when I start a new project with a new team, I'll ask them, "Hey, when do you guys want to communicate? Like, when are you you know always up for communication? Do you want me to ping you like?" We'll set up the the schedule or the 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 ways of communication right away at the start of a project, right? So they'll be like, oh, just you know, I'm up for it any time, but like ping me on Slack or ping me on Discord. And uh, you know i'll I'll message you if I'm if I'm available to chat. And I do the same thing with my developers. I'm like, hey, always reach out at any time on Skype or whatever, and I'll let you know if if I'm available at that very moment. And if not, then I'll give you like another time where I am available. And if I'm in a deep work section session, I'll just tell them, Hey, I'm just working right now. I'll I'll contact them later. So I think using the chat platform, if you're not sure gives the other developer an opportunity to stay deep focused and kind of, uh, you know, not interrupt them the same way that if you were to go up to their desk, tap them on their shoulder for them to turn around because that usually kind of takes them out of it. Right. And it's, it's, it's a little bit too distracting. So that's kind of how we handle it. And a lot of the times, like, again, when you're starting out with a mentor, they'll be like, Hey, you know, I, I like to do a lot of my work in the mornings. And for me, that's, I'm just kind of pointing out for myself. Like I like my work, my deep work is usually done anywhere between like 9am or 8am till, about 1 1 PM. So in that time, I'm usually not available for any sort of like troubleshooting or anything like that. Usually sometimes I am, but regardless that those are my deep work hours. So I'll tell them that right away so that they know to keep their questions for later on in the day. And that works out, that works out decently well. Um, for like, it's just, it's one of those things, like it's tough to know right away. And usually a developer, if they're like decent social skills and stuff like that will tell you right away if you're interrupting them and you can kind of gauge based on that. And they're not going to get mad at you for it because you're, you're a new developer. Like if you're a new hire at a company, they, everyone knows that you're going to need the help, the most help. And usually they'll align your schedules. If again, if they have a good hiring process and a good onboarding process, they're align their schedules to help you because they know if they get, if you're ramping up, then that means you're taking the load off of them. And help and that kind of works like it, it's the reciprocity of that of, of that relationship um obviously in some companies it's a lot more difficult and some and some people are a lot more you know withholding or uh you know they're just kind of cold and those are just it's it those are tough situations because you might not be able to ask those people for help and uh and you can try a different way like again if they're not really good with giving you help over Face to face, maybe try sending them an email and seeing when they reply. maybe they maybe they do really well structured email responses. and that's their thing. and that's perfectly fine as long as it works for you. you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I will say that you know uh, if you work with um usually it's higher than level one i t because usually i level one i t uh, has like a structured like hey, you you chat with us or you come to the desk or like there's usually only one, Form of communication, And that changes per company. Sometimes it's multiple. But when you talk to like a higher level IT where um, it gets escalated to them, like level two, level three, whatever the structure is in your company, uh, oftentimes the communication kind of opens up and there will be times where they will ask you, you know, hey, do you mind if we do email or hey, do you mind if we do phone or do you want to do a mix of both? Like they will ask you straight up. Uh, And it's not just like you opening a chat window on the website and talking again to that level one, because that's very structured. It's like them vetting you being like, is there issue actually level two, uh, like worthy (laughs) effectively, I guess. But there is that. And I think that that is because like those IT, those levels of IT, like obviously sometimes there's company policy that demands that they use email or whatever. But oftentimes it's actually because they want like that person is better at email, but then if you have a similar issue in the future and you get put to a different tech, that other person might do better via call. And we've actually had it where I'm like, "Hey, I'm available for a call at this time," uh, or email me, and they just never even acknowledge the phone number because clearly they just don't—they don't want that. They just want to do it with the email. So, like, I mean, that's fine. Like, whatever is tweets their own, but that's one thing. And I also want to bring up one other thing as well, actually, and. And like Mike and I have been experiencing this and, and other people experiencing this too outside of, outside of tech as well. And, and, and it's, it's a weird, I don't know whether it's a new phenomenon, an old phenomenon. Uh, I don't know. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but there's this weird thing that I'm noticing more now, which is why I'm mentioning it now, whether it's always been there, I don't know where communication has just sort of broken down, uh, to the point where stuff isn't read Stuff isn't acknowledged. Stuff that's obviously right in front of somebody isn't answered properly. And I don't want to like get into you know specific situations with with every with everyone because this happens you know several times a day at this point. But it's something as simple as you send an email to like if I sent an email to Mike that's a prime example. I sent an email to Mike and he was trying to. Uh, I don't know, repair a hard drive. I don't know. And And I tell him like, hey, you know, go into the command prompt in Windows with the hard drive plugged in via external drive and via external enclosure and run this command. And he spends all day like he reads the email. He says, yeah, thanks, Matt. But he doesn't actually read it. He spends all day trying to figure out how to repair this hard drive in the command prompt. Doesn't can't figure it out for whatever reason. And then he contacts me and says, like, I can't get this to work. And I'm like, did you then like, you know, via phone call or via that email? It'll be like, hey, well, did you do this? Excuse me. Did you do this? And he's like, well, I didn't read that. And it's sort of like, okay. there's also this like phenomenon. And I don't know whether again, whether it's new, old, whatever, where people just don't communicate where they just don't bring stuff up. So prime example, actually, recently, one of my friends um, had a fire alarm pulled in their, in their uh, uh, apartment building. I think it was a legit, like, actual problem, uh, some sort of, like, that the fire department had to deal with. I don't, I don't know the details. And anyway, so they evacuate, you know, they do the procedure, the fire drill, whatever, and, well, not the fire drill, but they do the same thing that they wouldn't do in a fire drill, leave the building, blah, 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 whatever, gather in a certain spot, whatever they got to do. And the fire department shows up does their thing and then they're on the other side of the building and they just get in the truck and leave. They don't communicate. So everyone in the middle of the night is just standing outside being like, can we go back inside? No one communicated. And what's bad about this and what I'm finding is, is that this is this type of communication, I think is actually leading to people not asking for help. And the worst thing is, is I'm starting to do this now where I'm realizing that I'll write out like I'll make a really nice detailed email. I'm a, a kind of a detail freak when it comes to email. If you ever like work with me on technical stuff, especially stuff like migrations and stuff, I ask a million and one questions because I just want to be ready because I know something's going to go wrong. So I want to be ready. And if I'm going to like spend time, literally 20, 30 minutes, sometimes depending on the details of the email, writing out a huge email and you just send like a yeah, or you just don't answer it or you just don't read it or like, you answer it, but you just don't read it. And that comes to fruition. Like I'm aware of that. I now just kind of don't talk to you and I'll just like start like pulling plugs and stuff like this, according to what I think is right for you. And it will cause like, Hey, like, why is this down? Be like, Oh, like the service upgraded or whatever. And like the service is down, like you have to resign in. And I could have told these people to resign in, or I could have told these people that like, Oh, we're doing WordPress maintenance or whatever it was, but I just don't bother because I know that they're not bothering. And so, and I know that's bad because now, now I'm starting to do it in my personal life. Someone sends me a text that I just don't warrant important. I just don't answer it now. And like, I know that's not good, but like, I think that this is like a phenomenon that's happening where there's like this communication breakdown. And when you're asking for help, you're kind of, if you will, at the disadvantage you know, whether or not like asking for help is encouraged in your workspace or not, you are still the person that needs something from somebody. And you're not like, give they're not like paying them a dollar in, re- in return for the help or something. Right. So you're like, you're in need of something. And I think these communication breakdowns, if they're as widespread as I'm seeing, and I'm a very small sample size, are lead- is leading to people not asking for help. And then you just have like, You have a junior dev for like total made up scenario, a junior dev on a job for God knows how long, let's say two weeks. They haven't even got the header working or whatever, something basic because they didn't ask for help. And they just like kind of threw something together that wasn't even what you wanted. And there was no communication of the senior person that assigned them to it asking, you know, hey, like like checking in every couple of days or whatever, like, hey, how's it going? And there was no communication up. And that communication is broken. It's just sort of like, eh. And I don't know whether that, like, I don't know. Like, I mean, you can weigh in on this, Mike. I don't know whether this is like a widespread thing, whether this is just people bad at communications, whether this is a new thing, an old thing, but it's, uh, it's not good. And there's been times actually where, and this is maybe what has led me to it, and I'll finish here is what maybe has led me to it, where I will like communicate something, like I'll just say like a quick update. Like I'll just be like, FYI, blah, blah, blah. And I'll just get like, sort of like, oh, I didn't need to hear that. And so when I hear stuff like that, it's sort of like, oh, okay. well, then I'm just not going to talk to you then. Like, I'll just go along my merry way, do my job the best I can only talk to you when it's like literally an emergency or I literally have to talk to you and uh, you'll just get no updates. Fair enough. And like, I know that sounds crazy. I know that sounds like spiteful, but it, it has like actually come down to that in some cases. I'm not saying that I'm doing this to new clients and stuff like this, yada, yada. I'm not like being a dick, but like, if that is the precedent set forth, now that becomes my norm. And like I said, now I'm finding that it's becoming a habit and it's starting to seep into a little bit of my personal stuff, which I've, I've been curbing and stopping like immediately because it's not good, but I don't know, Mike, like what's your thoughts on this? Like, I know this is It's not really even really a tangent. I think it's actually kind of almost foundational to asking for help.
2: Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, there's a a couple of things to address there. But uh, one, the foundational part of it that's related to the asking for help is that it's definitely a two-way street, right? When you're onboarding a junior developer or when you're like onboarding a developer in general, there should be very clear communication that, hey, we want you to ask for help and this is how we want you to do it, Right. Um, and then they're like up for it and then they can ask for help. And hopefully it goes the the way that, uh, the onboarding process has already told them it will. Now, if there's none of that, when you're first starting out, yeah, the junior developer is going to be scared because they weren't told that they can ask for help. They weren't like told even who to ask for help. And then everyone, like they could send out emails. No one reads like, that's the other part of your discussion, Matt. Like, as we've learned a lot of people, I'm not going to say everyone, but a lot of people don't read Like just really don't read. They open up an email that you sent them, read the last line, which is like thanks or something like that, and then respond to you based on your last line. They won't read any of the body. They won't read the start. They won't read anything. And then you have to kind of go one by one, one line by one line essentially to them after that and be like, okay, what about this? What about this? Like, I don't know how many email exchanges I've had where I've sent like, four questions. Like I try to limit myself. Like I I already know this problem. And I really try to limit myself in my structure of my emails. Like they're really, really concise usually. And even then they'd answer like the last question and that's it. And I'm like, well, there's like three other questions very clearly labeled as questions in there with question marks and everything. Why didn't you go in and, you know, answer those questions. And I mean, it's just the reality of the situation that we're living in right now. Like that's the reality of the world. I was with like with another person recently and I was helping them out on some problems and there was like these problems were like question answer like standard question and answer problems and they would go to the page and then just start like look at an example or something like that and then just start typing in a text box and I'm like what are you typing like what's going on right now and they just started typing and I'm like what's the question like what what are you like what are you answering they're like I don't know I'm just like looking at this example and I'm writing like they're just they're blasting off based on just one little bit on the page when there's like four or five different questions that they have to be answered. Like it makes, <laughs> it's literally like, I don't know what was happening. I, I didn't know what was happening at the time. I was like, oh, I, is, is this how like assignments are done now at school? Or is like, like, is this how assignments are done in like courses at this point? Like, is this, I don't know. It was it was crazy, but <laughs> like you you've got to slow down. Like, I feel like as a developer, sometimes we're just trying to go too fast. Like we're trying to learn too much. We're going too fast. And therefore we have these techniques of like, only reading a little bit here and there and then trying something out. Like even we've even preached and being like, Hey, you got to just start coding, coding, coding. You can't read. But really like that doesn't mean you can't read everything. That just means that in some situations, it's a good idea to apply skills and then go back and read a little bit more and then apply some skills and then go back and read a little bit more. It doesn't mean you have the opportunity to just cut out reading altogether. I don't know why that is a thing. Like, it just doesn't make sense to me. This is kind of like going off on a little bit of a tangent, but it is related for sure. Because again, when you're answering questions or when you're creating or when you're asking questions, it's really important to have the skill of reading. Because when you're asking questions, if you didn't read anything before, you're going to be asking potentially not very good questions. Like if you, if you have a, if you have a problem And you didn't even go bother, uh, you know, looking it up on Google, looking it up in in your documentation, looking it up anywhere. And you're just going to ask like, hey, what's the, you know, what's the variable name that I should write here? Or what's the, uh, you know, what's just some really basic question that during the interview process that you had with the company, you like kind of already should have known that could be a problem where, where on the other hand, if you go and you actually follow through and kind of like, this is more part of my second segment, but I'll talk about it now and actually go and, you know, read a little bit, answer, like, you know, type into Google what your problem is and read the first couple posts, see if that they apply, Uh, check, check to see uh, other resources that you have available. Again, a knowledge base real quickly, like just maybe write that down real quick, what you did, and then go to someone and be like, Hey, I'm having this problem. This is kind of what I did to, to solve it. Like I, I, I followed these steps that's a totally different thing. Even if the question is, is really simple and even if like, you know, for that developer there, they can easily answer it. As, as soon as they see that you follow the simple steps of troubleshooting, they can be like, oh, that's, that's no problem. Like, and they can correct your steps. That's another really big advantage to actually doing something before going to someone with a question. Because that, again, I want to bring it back to that process of finding the answer being way more important than the actual answer, because that's what you're going to be selling in the future troubleshooting and questions and answers are literally that that's our bread and butter like that's what we need to be good at like realistically to be a good developer you need to be able to solve problems and solving problems means asking the right questions means figuring out how to research it yourself means uh you know implementing solutions that you that you find it's not it's all not easy stuff Even though like at the beginning, it can seem like, you know, you're asking dumb questions, but really, as long as you follow those steps and the person that you're asking to can see that you followed those steps, they can help you hundred percent. And they will be more than happy because they can see that you've already put in the effort. Whereas if someone again came to me and they're just like, Hey, I, you know, I don't know what the type here. Like, I don't know. Should I open up the code editor or should I not open up the code editor? And you're like, okay, well, like you, you might be a little bit too far gone at that point.
0: (laughs)
1: Well, here, here's a, and, and we're not going to solve this, solve these issues on this show. I want to be clear, like these, <laughs> these overarching like uh, communication issues. Uh, but I will, like, there's a weird, it's not weird, actually. It's just the internet, actually, a little bit. So I'm wondering whether people are, because you, you were mentioning Googling issues, right? So Googling issues. And you can do that on programming issues, of course, but you can do that on anything. Like, hey, how do I file... Uh, this forum with the government or something. I don't know. Just whatever it is. Like, how do I plug in this USB port properly or something? Uh, you can Google anything. And I think there's this there's this culture online now where uh, a lot of people view or what's like a commonly called is lurk. And a lot of people don't post questions. And I think that it might be due to, and then this is totally just off the cuff. So I haven't like done my research, but there's a lot of forums, whether it be Reddit posts, I don't care. A lot of community communities out there where when you ask a question, you get either downvoted or you get told like, oh, let me Google that for you. Or you get told, you get, uh, oh, this is a duplicate. Like that's like that's a famous one on Stack Overflow. This is a duplicate. And if it isn't, just make another one and whatnot. Stuff like that or comments like, oh, like this should be simple or maybe if you were more organized, you wouldn't have this problem, stuff like that. Or, oh, well, I, I had a friend that had like a a question about managing uh, pay stubs. I don't even remember what the heck he was doing with them. But he had like a question about like the legality around it and like, I guess labor board stuff or something. I don't really know. Um, but he was asking some sort of generic question about pay stubs. And the response he got was, well, maybe if you were more organized 12 months ago, this wouldn't have happened and it's sort of like all right well i guess i'll just go back in time be more organized and then i'll i don't know shoot you an email like there just seems to be this um this toxicity this this toxicity but it's also like moderation of content right because there's so many people online that can all talk at the same level like most you know anyone for the most part can write a reddit post most people can write a, a discord message and blah 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 so like everyone's kind of like yelling if you will at the same level that there needs to be this like cutthroat like you out of here you out of here you out you you're okay you out you know what i mean like there needs to be this like where they're, they're chopping off because otherwise it would be like a million and one like is HTML a programming language? And the next day, is HTML a programming language? So there needs to be this like moderation, like kind of almost cutthroating, um, if you will. That's a gamer term, um, if you will. You know, you know what I'm trying to say. Like there needs to be this like this strictness, but it, it's it's ended up where I think honestly, like people are afraid to ask, and I think it 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 goes into real life too where there's th- like like at- when to ask a question should really be rather simple and sure. There's like, you know, some, and we're talking to talk about them more, but like there's these, there's these, sp- there's these uh complex sort of social constructs, I guess uh, that are associated with asking for help and stuff like that, that you could get into, but you should be able to figure those out slowly with experience in general. You should just be able to ask for help. And yet there's this like huge anxiety, like, there's like a bunch of anxious thoughts for some people around asking for help, and I think one of the issues might be that sort of internet culture, where this is why a lot of people lurk or just like read forums they don't post because it's like they don't want to get, you know, yelled at, banned, called like called out for something, you know, told their things a duplicate, called an idiot, those type of things. I I don't know, like maybe that's the issue. Like I said, we're not going to solve this here. But like, maybe this is where we're going. (laughs) Maybe it's just going to get worse because we're using the internet more and more. Maybe it's just going to get worse. Who knows? But it's just interesting that like, I wouldn't ask for help online. I just look for uh, things that other people ask for. And only after extensive research do I ask. And 50% of the time I get marked as a duplicate. 50% of the time I get kicked off. 50% of the time I get called an idiot. And then I'm just like, oh, okay. And then sometimes I just delete the post. Like, oh, I'm just an idiot then. So I'll just delete this.
2: So, I mean, that's, the, that's what we're trying to solve here. Right. <laughs> like th- that exact thing, because I, I was very similar to that. Um, I've gotten a slightly better at it, but I still say I'm not there yet. Like I, were, I should be. I should be asking uh, better questions. Um, but regardless, it's just, it's one of those situations where, yes, there's a lot of toxicity online. And that is 100% attributing to the fact that people don't ask as many questions as they should. Because we we see it on ourselves, we see it on other people. Um, They're afraid to ask because people are extremely arrogant online. I think we can change that to a certain degree for ourselves, um, right? By asking the right places, like Stack Overflow. In my opinion, is not the place for a new developer to ask a question. (laughs) It's just not the place for a new. Like it used to be, absolutely, not anymore. Stack Overflow is the place where you ask a question about an extremely specific like framework technology that you've been stuck on forever, and you just throw it up on there. The other thing, like where I like to ask all my questions, uh, as more of like a intermediate to senior developer, uh, and I'll get to that like in a in a, very, in a second. But where I like to ask my questions is like on a GitHub issues page, because again, most of my problems arise from complex frameworks complex integrations with other frameworks stuff like that and when you have the situation when you're in that situation and uh you kind of like googling can only take you so far those issue pages are great because again they're very much directed at exactly the problem and the people that are supporting them are very much in line with like we need to solve as many issues as possible to make our product better, so that we can expose it to as many people as possible. So they're very much willing to answer your question and try to figure out if the if there is there. So I'll always go on a on a GitHub issues page of whatever package that I'm using. I'll check if the if the current issue that I'm asking is has been asked or solved. So there's like a closed and an open tab. I'll check both tabs to make sure that there's nothing relative to it. And then I'll just post the question there based on the template that they have for their issues. Every Everyone's kind of different, but that's a great way to ask a question and a great, and and, and also like, again, it's part of the when to ask a question as well is again, when when you have like a specific library that you're using, that's not integrating with your code. Because if you're going to have that issue, maybe down the line, someone else is going to have that issue and having that documented in the issues tab is really important because I'm not the only one that does this. Everyone else like, – not everyone, but a lot of people will go to the issues tab, check the open and close questions, and then go on from there. And there, a lot of the times, you're actually going to solve your problem by doing that.
1: There's also very few, like, problem-solving uh, things, I guess. There's also very few problem-solving things that feel better than solving, like, a core issue or finding a core issue. Yeah. Like when you're like, I've done this a million times, I swear this is done correctly. And it ends up being an issue with that software or like that app. And it's like, you know, a core issue where it's like you're calling on an LED to blink and it's like making the speaker buzz or something, you know, something where it's just doing it blatantly wrong. And you're like, I swear I'm not calling that speaker. Like, I know I'm telling this LED to blink. And then they're like, oh, yeah, there's a bug in the core in the core files or whatever or in this library or whatever it needs to be that we need to fix and you're like well all right like i feel pretty justified now
2: (laughs) that's absolutely true and i love i I do really like that feeling of finding that core issue um because i I think it's good for the other for the developers too that are working on it right that's why they're doing it open source is because a lot of companies will open source their own software that they're using in production because they need help figuring out all the issues and solving all the issues. Mm-hmm. So that's one reason to open source. And we've talked about open source uh, before, but that's one of the reasons to open source is to get the team mentality. Everyone, like all the pairs of eyes as possible, looking at it and finding all the issues that you have there, whether they be security, whether they be performance, because those are the stuff that's hard to find. Like, yeah, you can get functionality there. Like as like a small team, you can get your functionality to be good, right? Right and work the way you want it. But finding all the security vulnerabilities in your platform, finding all of the uh, performance metrics that you could like change to maybe make it a slightly faster, finding the plat like um, the integrations that don't work, those are really difficult and require a lot, either a lot of developers, a lot of testing, or again, just an infinite amounts of pairs of eyes on it for people to look at, use and find those issues. So it's part of the open source community to ask those questions. And it's very much not frowned upon <laughs> to ask questions in the issues tabs, uh, especially if you've done the due digital diligence of just checking if it's already been asked before. But even if you haven't, a lot of the times they'll just reference the question, right? Like if, if you have done the due diligence and you didn't find it, sometimes that happens. And someone will just reference the question where it's solved. And they'll just give you like a little reference tab. Now you might... take that as a little bit of like a slap in the face, but it's not. I guarantee you, like I've done that before. It's not, I'm not intending that to be a slap in the face. I'm intending that to solve your problem because it's showing where you can find your problem and you can close the issue when you find it. So it, (sighs) there is certainly a lot of toxicity back to that online, like back to the toxicity problem. There's certainly a lot, but there's ways around it. Again, it's a two-way thing in a company. If you're starting out, Make sure that you are up front with when when can I ask questions, how, who can I ask questions to and stuff like that. If you're a company hiring, make sure you're upfront with the new developers about uh, when to ask questions, how to ask questions, you know, you, know, you know what I mean? Like a lot of the time, a good company would be like, ask questions as, as much as you want. And obviously, if you're going to ask a question every minute, it's going to be a problem, but you're not like, you're not (laughs) going to ask a question every minute. It's just not the thing. Like when I say five to 10 minutes, it doesn't mean you're going to be asking a question five to 10 minutes. That means you've been stuck on a problem for five to 10 minutes, and then you can ask a question, right? When you're an intermediate developer, just, just to go to the next topic here a little bit, if you're stuck on a problem from like 30 to one, 30 minutes to one hour, that's also a decent time to start, you know reaching out and asking asking some questions, some general some general questions about the problem because you can solve it much quicker. and giving yourself that little bit more time rather than a junior developer will kind of hone your skills, make your troubleshooting skills better because now you're going now you're going deeper now you're going to like you know the github pages, now you're going to the issues tabs, now you're going to like you know deeper into Google, you're going into the uh, documentation of the library, you're understanding that a little bit more like all of that, knowledge that you're gaining while you're trying to troubleshoot is very important. So it's important to sometimes take some time and actually troubleshoot and not not immediately reach out. So as as you go up in rank, I guess, at a company or as you go up in rank as a developer in general, you're probably going to ask less questions, but you shouldn't you should never get to the point where you're not asking questions in my opinion. Like you should always, you should always be willing to ask a question. You shouldn't be at the point where like, I know everything and I'm never going to ask a question. No, it's, it's not going to happen. A lot of the time when you're going to be re- like integrating into a new technology, when you're going to integrate to a new library or a framework, it's important to like, maybe bring yourself back to that junior developer phase because now you're starting something new. Maybe you should start asking questions really quickly to the people that know the answers and then slowly work your way back up in terms of that kind of situation.
1: I have a question about this now, though. So you're mentioning, you know, you mentioned some times there, 30 to 1 as an intermediate developer or whatever. I'm sure times will change based on projects and stuff and companies, whatever. That's fine. But here's the, here's the question, though, is when you're working on something rather complex, so something like programming, you know, um, there's a lot of strength that comes from being able to solve the issue. But being able to solve the issue sometimes requires it to be without... A time pressure. Now, there's always a time pressure, there's always a deadline, there's always this, there's always that. But how would you say you deal with it? Because this is so this is what I do is I've been doing a lot of server stuff recently. So I haven't really been coding. And what I do is if I have an issue, I just go like, okay, here we go. And then I just like stay up, which is probably not good, but I just like stay up until it's done, sometimes to like seven in the damn morning. So I'm basically just pull the night shift just to ensure that something gets done, gets fixed, gets repaired, or I understand what happened or whatever. And I just sort of like dig my heels in and do it. But if I, during that time were to, you know, say, okay, let's do this and be constantly worried about like a ratio or be constantly looking at the clock, I probably wouldn't have even solved it in the same amount of time that it took me because I would have been worried about the clock. It's sort of like that classic trope of, if you're worried about falling asleep, then you're not going to fall asleep. You shouldn't be worried about the clock.
2: Like I understand I understand your point of like putting the structure here, but that's why I have like a, a kind of a range.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: again, you don't know because if you were maybe under that at like, you know, hour long time frame, let's say, and you were a little bit worried about the clock and after an hour, you weren't able to progress in your thing and you were asked a question, it doesn't mean you stop trying to look for the answer. You just, you know, you go to the right place, ask the question, then continue looking, and then wait for an answer to come in. Mm-hmm. Maybe an answer will come in, maybe not. Maybe you have to go to a different place to ask a question. That's also part of the part of the deal. But maybe an answer will come in while you're looking for it. And you can and you can reference it. And because you've already invested so much time in looking for the answer, when someone answers you you have a much better idea of what they're talking about. Like if you ask right away, like to, to put it back to like the, you know, initial like right away ask, sometimes the answer will make no sense to you because you haven't looked at it long enough, right? But that combination of you looking for it and you asking the question, that will be the perfect combination for potentially having that problem solved as quickly as possible. And like, you, like for us, Matt, we're in a situation where we're kind of working on our own Like you can ask me technically, I can ask you technically, but we're kind of working on two different sets of knowledge, knowledge and skills. So it's not going to help too much. Um, But if you're in a team environment and if you have deadlines, like you were mentioning, it's different. And you do have to kind of worry about that a little bit, at least, because if you're stuck on a, on a problem for hours and hours and hours, yes, it, it might be good for you to like get through it on your own and all that, but really that's company time, unfortunately. And you really do need to optimize as much as possible. And asking a question again does not stop the clock. Does not mean like you ask a question and then you just like sit there and wait for the answer. Like you're not just like a robot. No, like you just continue to look, but part of your troubleshooting is asking that question. That's
1: a yeah, Because you're how asking you Google the it. question too. Like yeah. I mean, like you're effectively asking Google, whether you ask a colleague, ask Google, whatever. Like it's still it's still a part of it. And another thing too, I find is because you're, and this doesn't always happen, depends on situation, but because you're so deep in that one issue, usually it's like a roadblock issue or like a dam. And then like once you break that, like breakthrough where you're like, oh, that's how you set this to an integer or something, then like the dam breaks and now you rip through like the whole whatever it is you're assigned to in like a third of the time. Because you've been in that issue for so long that you've effectively thought of the whole thing. Even if it's in the back of your mind, you've effectively thought of that whole thing so much. But it was just that one block. And now that you've been in it for so long, you're able to just rip through it after that.
2: Yep. Absolutely. And it it, it usually is like breaking a dam. You kind of go through it and you quickly go. But sometimes, (laughs) and I've had this happen before, where it's like issue after issue after issue. Where all of the issues line up to be like a blocker. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that happens and it's, it's part of the, it's part of the deal. And especially in in this next segment, like this second section with the senior developer part, when you're a senior developer, that's more likely to happen because now you're in this scenario where there's not a ton of people that can answer your questions. Because usually what a senior developer does is he, they guide the entire tech stack and the architecture of the project to, to something that will solve the problem. And based on that, it's, it's sometimes quite complex because you're going to, your chosen check stack could be like five different things, all intertwined to solve the problem. Now that might be a bad thing or a good thing, whatever, but the senior developer has that decision-making power. Mm -hmm. And when they do that, they've combined something that's might have never been done before, or might've been done very little. And at, at the, the, you know, the more stuff you add onto it, the, the less, the less people out there that have, you know, done the same thing. So you're, you're community of people that can answer your question shrinks and so it becomes harder and harder and harder. So like for instance, my current stack right now is extremely unique that we're doing for one of the projects. It's a uh, uh Vue.js, regular HTML JavaScript CSS in the public folder, uh, Vue.js for some components, and then there it's all packaged with Cordova, and it's run on Android and a little bit of iOS, like some some functionality on iOS. Uh, And then inside of the Android app, we also connect it to Flutter, a Flutter instance, a Flutter uh, interface. So there's a few native functionalities built with Flutter. So it's like this melding of a bunch of, you know, uh, web and cross-platform technologies that make it into this ball of like unknown entity. And therefore, if there's a problem with the integration part of that, the the senior developer usually is on their own. Now, what they can do to kind of alleviate that and what they can do to bring the team together is using their skills, separate the problem out a little bit into different tasks, right? If the problem is severe, separate it out and set their team on troubleshooting each little thing in that task, right? Each little issue. issue. And then not only does that kind of have the cohesiveness and bring the team together a little bit and get them understanding the architecture. But it also kind of frees you up to look at the big picture. And when your team comes back to you, like, okay, I found this on this specific, like, you know, technology and integration. I found this on this specific. And then another person comes back and I found this. And then you can kind of, while you have the overview, you can put that together. They're getting knowledge of troubleshooting little smaller things and gathering knowledge and bringing it to you. So it's kind of like that back and forth relationship that allows you to ask questions, allows them to ask questions for you, and it builds up the knowledge of the code base as well while you're doing it. It's a little bit complex, like for sure. But again, at, when you get to the stage, when you get to that like later, later development stages where you're the one making the decisions for the project uh, and you have a team working for you, that's when it becomes like a little bit more difficult to ask questions. But again, rely on other people as well. Like, hopefully you have a community of people that can answer some of your questions or point you in the right direction. Um, and it's that, it's that like, it's that thing where you might ask a question of like a, an even more senior developer than you, and they might not know the answer right away, but they might be able to show you how they would get to that answer. And I I just want to always bring it back to that point of like, really pay attention When the person is explaining to you that way that they got the answer and make sure that when you do get an answer, try to figure out the way that they got there. Because again, that's where you're going to learn the most.
1: Well, the other thing too is, is that, you know, we've had a discussion before, um, most recently probably with Monarch where we discussed the, the turnover rate of like people changing jobs. And with that comes a lot of contacts that aren't just in the office. So you don't have to just ask for help from people in the office, you know, you have to be careful how you ask questions for security purposes across two different companies. If your buddy, that's a little bit more senior dev than you, or, you know, you know, as a windows specialist, and you're having a windows problem. You can't be asking, you know, too specific to give away security, uh, things of your current company, but you can certainly ask questions to them. And that's more buddy, buddy as well. You know, you just shoot them a text message or whatever, uh, the acceptable sort of normal conversation you would have with the guy. And that's it. You know, you just, text him, text her or whatever. And then you can just have a conversation on that. And I've, and I've done that, you know, uh, my bosses have done that where we have some really obscure windows server issue. And it's like, we got to call, we got to call this guy. Like we, there's this guy that we know and we got to call him. Cause like, this is <laughs> like, this is out of control. And like the guy will know what knowledge base to look at or something like that, where he'll point you in the right direction, um, which is huge. Like it's a huge help. And so with the the quick turnover rate, one of the benefits is, is that you start knowing a bunch of people. And if you become sort of friends with them and you talk to them, um, you know, outside of work or at least just on your like personal device or whatever, you're just like chatting with them, then that – can become another place where you reach out as well so that if you become the senior dev and they're the senior dev at their company you're the senior dev at your company you can you know two senior devs can can chat without you having to like you as the senior dev go ask the junior dev which is probably not going to know the answer (laughs) because you're having you know different issues like you have senior dev problems that junior dev has junior dev problems so uh, so definitely you the circle of asking you know is the internet which is the world if you will but then you can also ask friends from other companies as well exactly
2: and like bringing that uh, bringing that uh to the to my next segment here is how and who to ask for help um, we've already touched on a bunch of the stuff that I was going to talk about here but regardless that that idea that you had of like you know you can't share company secrets but you can for sure bring your code like the issue that you're having and create like a little code base that reproduces that issue right and that's a that's an exercise and a practice in that how to ask for help part that's really important because a lot of people will really avoid doing that because it's a time sink like for sure taking out a problem that it is a serious problem that you just can't solve and bringing it into its own like repo essentially that only is that problem with none of the other proprietary code around it so that you can ask the general public for help is a very good exercise like i i, I want to really point that out because if you can do that quickly eventually like obviously initially it'll be slow but if you can start getting to the point where you can take out functionality and and put it into its own thing quickly that's another skill set that you can bring to the table for any team and they would be happy to have it that's a really important one and that's again yes you can ask another developer Another senior developer, another junior, whatever. Like you can ask another developer, one of your friends with that kind of technique. But it's also really important for asking questions in like the GitHub issue section, right? Because a lot of the time they'll require you to put code that reproduces the issue. And they don't want your whole project, they want just the code that reproduces the issue. And sometimes it is a time investment, absolutely, but it's usually a worthwhile one if you're stuck. And not only does it give you the perspective of taking something out and putting it on like on its own thing, it'll actually give you like when you're doing it, some of the times you're actually going to solve the problem as you're doing it because you start ripping stuff out and you're like, okay, this didn't cause the problem. And you rip this out and you just, this didn't cause the problem. And you put that back in and you're like, and then you figure out what specifically caused the problem. And maybe that'll give you a different perspective to actually solve it. And if it doesn't, again, you have that opportunity of now posting it as a separate code base onto a form, or give it to your colleagues, or give it to your friends, and have them take a look at it. And that's huge. Like whenever someone comes into our discord server, and asks like a very generic question, like, hey, I don't understand why my variable is not setting when I've I've set it here. And it's just being like reset over here. Like, and that's literally like the language they use. The first question after that is like, can you sh- share some code that can reproduce it? Can you make a code pen? Can you just like, you know, put some code that we can copy paste and figure out you need to show code. And that that is a good exercise. And that is a really good technique for asking for help. So the other things that there's a lot of other kind of ways to ask for help. We've talked about a few, like the, the, the strategy of having the process that you've already gone through documented in some way shape or form like maybe it's in your head you just went through it or maybe you just wrote down a couple quick notes like I looked here I looked here I looked here and using that to approach a developer or like one of your team or your mentor and showing them what you did that's a really important approach because again the idea is they can go in and not only give you the answer but they can also comment on your method of finding the answer and that's the key that I'm trying to get through everyone's head that's one of the key takeaways for sure Um, and That's one of them for sure. Uh, And, like, I mean, in an ideal world, you'll have to ask follow up questions about how the person finds the answers themselves. Like, let's say you ask someone a question and uh, they just give you an answer right away, or they give you an answer, like a one line answer in an email. In an ideal world, they might give you, like, how they got to that answer, but you might have to follow up and be like, hey, can you just, you know, take me through it, maybe do like a quick, you know, let's get on a call, or just do a quick write up about how you got to that answer, because I I really want to know, I guarantee you, the person that uh, came up with that answer will be happy to show you they just, in their mind, they just want to get it done as quickly as possible initially, so that you can be unblocked. But if you show some initiative showing that you want to learn how they got to that answer, they'll be happy to show you. Um, also it's important when working in a team, it's important to utilize each other when asking questions and this kind of provides an opportunity to have that back and forth thing. So even if you're a junior developer, you should be in the process of answering people's questions as well. Like you should, that you should be mixed into the scenario where like, if, if someone were to throw out a question, you should have the opportunity to answer it because answering questions. And I think we all know this is a really good way to solidify your knowledge and to give you some confidence. And I think it's really important for junior developers to be involved in the answering of questions and not just asking them. And there's also a bunch of tools or a couple tools here that I'm just going to list off that you can use. I think, again, if you're asking questions online, jumping on a quick uh, you know Zoom call or Discord call to share your screen and show the, like reproduce the problem that you're having and show your code base and stuff like that is is a really important tool to use. Right? Again, it's, it's back to that code base kind of discussion. Like You, you want to show the code that's causing the error, not just describe the problem. Describing the problem is great, but you need that code to go along with it 100%. And it, sometimes it's not going to work out if you uh, like to get on a call, and that's fine. You can just take a quick like screen recording of the bug, show the code that you think is causing the bug, because sometimes you're going to be wrong. And then like send, send it off to one of your you know, team members or like a friend or the Discord group. And that will really kind of solidify the problem for the people. And they can help you get to the answer.
1: The other thing. One, one thing yeah. I was going to actually mention as well is um, as a tool is having your junior devs write on your intranet, intranet to be clear, intranet wiki is actually a really good learning tool as well um, because one of the things that happens in a larger company or a larger project is like there's the company intranet, meaning like they have websites that are just internal for staff members, team members, whatever. And those wikis become very large. There's a lot of knowledge-based articles, lots of this, lots of that, that are sort of private to, um, to the company for the various departments, accounting, developing, whatever. And developing developers, the technical department, IT, whatever, anything in the tech sector usually gets a pretty large site dedicated to this, depending on, again, size of the company and what they're doing. And I will say that having the junior guys, depending, again, depending on what it is, um, you know, use your discretion, but it's hard to develop an internal Google skill. So obviously, if you're searching on the internal wiki, the internal wiki is probably formatted a certain way and you may have to search it differently than you would google let's say you may have to type in the search terms differently or there's certain tags that the company uses or there's certain this and that having the junior dev you know fill in some of those wiki articles fill in some of those internal uh, kvs or knowledge base articles is actually a good way for them to one like read through issues and read through procedures so they'll kind of get that uh, it's kind of stuck in their head. Also, they they're writing it, so they're reading it and writing it because they're taking it and transcribing it, or they're uh, taking it and they're um, they're taking like rough notes, point form, and they're writing it in paragraphs, or they're taking paragraphs and doing it in bullet form. Doesn't matter. Like they're reading it, they're writing it, they're maybe interacting with it, they're manipulating it to make it work for a wiki article, but they're also learning the internal intranet sort of structure they're learning oh this is a uh an it article so i have to tag it with it but then also it one because this is for the support level one guys and then they're able to easily see in the future like those little things are really important because if they're searching for something and you know they find it and they're like, Oh, what who's tagged in here? It one. Oh, I better call it one, they're probably the guys that handle this. Or, like, I'll text my buddy in, I- in it one and like they'll be able to handle this. Or, oh, like, this is uh, this is actually for the graphic designers, this isn't for the front end devs because it's tagged this way. So, whatever the procedure is, I know that like obviously, like a lot of companies probably don't have wikis and this and that, but a lot do, especially the really big ones and especially the ones that literally need it because they have so much history let's say usually it's older companies as well so having the the junior guys write out those articles that they can some of them are just too complex or too important that the senior guys have to write it but having them write out stuff or uh, if you're in IT, like making them do the network diagrams that go onto the intranet and stuff like that, that really gives them, because they'll be able, they know what they wrote. They're going to learn a bunch of that. They're going to know how to reference the, the wiki. Now they're going to know how to search in that wiki. They're going to know how to write in that wiki uh, when they themselves graduate to a point where they solve an issue that needs to be, ha- needs to have its own uh, KB or knowledge base article written for it. And they'll understand that procedure. But the most important thing is, is the fact that because you're reading reading and writing it and reading and writing it just like you do in school, you're going to be well versed in whatever it is you put on that wiki and you're going to be learning the company procedure as well and you're going to be able to answer more of your own questions by asking the wiki for help when the wiki's there. So, for example, if you were to write the wiki yourself and you, you write a bunch of like wiki articles over the years, whatever, and then you have some weird issue with, I don't know, images aren't rendering. I don't know. So you then say, okay, I'm going to go look this up in the wiki. So you go and you look up in the wiki and it's like images aren't rendering and you find like half of your answer approaching another dev saying, hey, you know, I looked on the wiki, I found this, but like, I'm still having this issue and I'm not really sure like that shows that and like Mike's already touched on this a bit here, too, is like that shows that you've that you've put your time in. And it also allows them to like maybe quickly scan that article and be like, yeah, you know what? There is something either a missing from that KV article that needs to be fixed or added or it allows them to say like, yeah, OK, this this junior guy did do his work. He did check into it. He knows, you know, he did. You know, he checked Google. He checked the the intranet site. He checked everything. OK, now I'll help. He didn't just like say like, hey, I don't know what I'm doing.
2: Absolutely. And I I think that's a really good onboarding practice. Like one of the first, you know, tasks for a junior developer should be doing something in the intranet docs, right? Like either editing them, adding one, like, you know, a a good exercise would be like um, mirror or uh, shadow a developer that's doing some sort of, you know, administrative work. On the, on the project, whether it's cleaning up code and document that process added to the docs, right? And then that gives them that opportunity to go through and make sure that they're on the doc um, or like going through and making sure, like documenting what technologies are used on what uh, projects in the company so that it's in, it's in the readmes or something like that. So I think that's a really good, practice like the, that's super good start for a developer because again it's getting them comfortable with the docs it's getting them comfortable with other developers and it's giving them that base knowledge of what the company's been doing so it's like a win-win-win for everyone
1: super boring though
2: oh yes yeah, su- <laughs> it could be super boring but again it's, it's one of those things where you get them to do it for like you know a few days like a couple of days at most and uh, just just to get them started, but really you you should be loading them up with other stuff as well. It's just part of their onboarding process. Right? Yeah, like an that's, hour at the end of the day or something exactly, from a month yeah, or whatever yeah. it is. That that's the thing. You want you want it to be just part of their days, not their whole day. Obviously. Um, I was gonna have I was gonna have uh, another discussion on uh, rubber duck de- debugging, but I'm actually gonna save that for uh, the show notes. So that's something that I wanted to talk about in my weekly growth goal. So I'm gonna go right to that because I'm running a little bit short on time right now. So my weekly growth goal for uh, last week was creating a new show note template that has like timestamps and has like just the, the regular information that we need to provide for our show notes to make it so that it, uh, our podcast episodes are a little bit more searchable, a little bit easier to digest quickly and to understand if you want to listen to it and find it easy and stuff like that. So we've actually started posting all of our show notes currently on dev.to on dev.to Um, I'm going to be linking them in our actual like podcast episode. So if you look back the last four or five episodes that you're going to see, they're all going to have a little show notes link. You can check it out. I would love for you to kind of go in, check out our show notes, check out the structure and provide us some feedback. Maybe leave a comment on the show notes because it'll give me a good indication of, uh, what I need to kind of improve on what you like, what you don't like. And we can kind of have a conversation there about what to do next. So Again, it's going to be on dev.2. It's under my name, so Mikhail Karan. But regardless, I'm going to actually put the link to the show notes in our podcast episode. So if you just go to the podcast episode on Podbean or on CastBox or wherever you get your podcast, you're going to see that link to the show notes and you should be able to find it from there. In the future, I want to say that these show notes and this template that we're building, it's still like kind of actively being uh, uh, adjusted is going to be present on our website, the htmlthings.com website, which is currently being built out. This dev.2 portion is just kind of a temporary thing so that they're at least out there and we're kind of getting into the habit of writing the show notes. And onto the habit part, my new weekly growth goal is gonna be write something every day. So I've already kind of cheated a little bit and I've been writing something every day for the past week or so because I've been writing each show note, each show note out for the like previous episode. So I want to continue that because it's kind of been a good way for me to start my day. Just even if it's like a couple sentences or a couple paragraphs, I'm not going to say I'm going to publish something every day, but I want to at least write something. So I want to get some of the knowledge that I have out there. I want to do some research and write it out and stuff like that. Like I want to just continue that habit a little bit longer. So again, my, my weekly goal for next week is to write something every day.
1: I mean, that's great. Um, That's a a good growth goal. And I kind of like the idea of like saving a little something for the show notes. I don't know if I'll stick with that. That's just kind of an interesting idea. I know we're doing it for time right now, Um, but it'd be kind of interesting to have like a little bonus in the show notes. I don't know if I want to like starve the show, though. I don't know. I'm just spitballing at this point. But um, for my weekly growth goal, my weekly growth goal was to keep my head above water. And uh, I'm here. So (laughs) I did. Uh, However, disaster has struck. So uh, as all migrations do. So uh, we got to do another migration as a result and uh, an unforeseen sort of more of an office politics situation more than like a technical one. Um, So we have to do another uh, migration, although uh, there's some other organization and stuff like this involved with it and yada, yada. So we will be I'll be doing that. However, I did finish every single project on time last week. I finished two websites and a migration all on time uh with very minimal sleep i did one 16 hour two 14 hour and one 19 hour day damn so um the 19 hour day was like i had to take a personal day due to medical stuff or whatever blah 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 for family not gonna get into that but i had to like i was awake for 19 hours um so yeah like it was a hellish week last week uh this week is i mean it was looking better but now it's looking like it might be uh more hell who knows i'm still organizing some of that but um Basically just dealing with all the, you know, feedback and fallout and uh, communication and whatever of all the stuff that was completed and sent out last week. So I'm here, I'm alive, so I beat my weekly growth goal, and I think my, my weekly growth goal for the second week in a row is going to be to keep my head above water, because I'm just trying to literally get through all of this, because once everything is, you know, billed, paid out, everyone knows how to log into their stuff, everyone knows how to, uh, you know, edit their sites and do whatever they need to do, then I will be able to move on to something else. But it's just been a crazy week, that's just the way it's been, and that's just it. <laughs> Another week I keep my head above water, but... um, Anyway, uh, we're going to run the old conclusion here. Um, if you uh, want to support the show, you can check us out on that Patreon. Uh, that's patreon.com slash HTML all the things. Check out the tiers, give that a go. Many thanks to our three dollar tier patrons, Sean from RabbitWorks JavaScript on YouTube.com slash rabbitworks JavaScript. Garrick from Local Path Computing and Web Design on Localpathcomputing.com. Ryan Gatchell from BlueBlackDigital Digital on blueblackdigital.com. Chris from SelfMadeWebDesigner Web Designer on SelfMadeWebdesigner.com. Tim from the Web Hacker on the DL Ford from DLFord.io Bib from 9 Block Media on nineblockmedia.com and Jason from Geek Life Radio via geekliferadio.com. Feel free to leave a comment or a review on the platform that you are listening to this on and this outro will sign us off.
0: You've been listening to HTML All the Things podcast Signing off.